Welcome to episode number 10 of 10. North of the Shire. And I'm back here with Andrew after our relaxing uh Christmas break and how are you doing sir? I am doing fantastic. I wish I was still relaxing but you know such is life. <laughs> yeah so both of us back at work it is what is it January 7th today so yeah. we're uh, we're back together. Last episode was uh, me and uh, or Chris and I. Oh, proper grammar. Uh, yeah proper grammar. <laughs> uh, let's make an effort you know it's a new year and all that. Let's make an effort this will be the last like <laughs> 10 minutes in the episode. <laughs> Um, before we get into uh, our usual chat, it's a new year. Um, I, I kind of think it would be remiss if we didn't just kind of talk a little bit uh, very briefly about kind of the the elephant in the room uh, being COVID. And mm -hmm. just want to mention, you know, we're starting a new year kind of in a bit of a low. Uh, we're in here in Ontario. Uh, we're in our worst lockdown or most strict lockdown i guess we've had here since uh march of last year uh we're we have the highest number of cases we've ever had um so in that sense uh the new year isn't starting out great uh it's pretty common around the world i think um good news though you know we've got vaccine happening now uh, mm -hmm. i think we've got two approved in canada a third one uh, on the way so so that's good to see that happening and best news of all is we will get together and play games this year it's I'm, just going to be a matter of time i'm so happy for that i see the light it's so yeah. far down at the end of this tunnel but i see it you know and i'm just like i like i I'm so excited for someone to inject me full of this vaccine so I can go on with my day. You yeah, know? and it is for us here in Canada, um, we actually do not have any facilities in the country that can produce the vaccine. No. So everything we are getting is going to be imported. So, you know, there is kind of that uh, like a trickle effect, um, just trying to get the vaccine into the country and mm -hmm. get it distributed. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that briefly because, you know, we don't usually want to talk about uh, that kind of stuff. We're here to talk about uh, more important things than that. We're here to talk about the uh, big events of the day, that being our Lord of the Rings miniatures and what we are doing with them. And the Middle Earth strategy battle game. <laughs> right, That's right. right. So anyway, let's move on. Um, did you get any hobbying done in your week off? That is the big question I want to know. Yes and no. Yes, I got a bunch of hobbying done. No, I didn't get what I said I was going to get done. Because I, I looked at the Blood Bowl and there it was sitting. I said, well, I got to assemble this, even though it's probably push to fit stuff. But then I'm like, I looked over and there sitting on my painting table was like 20 Rangers of Athelion and... I said, uh, the Rangers of Gondor, but I call them Rangers of Athelion. Uh, and I said to myself, you know, they're already primed. They're already assembled. Why not paint them? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know, I'll do the dry brush technique. And uh, that's, that's the, you do the Zenithal dry brush primer. And then you, um, you just essentially slop some contrast paint on them. And uh, one coat and you're done. 
Um, and you've got the contrast primer creates the shadows and the highlights, but because you created the, you added the two colors Zenithal, um, mm-hmm. I do like a gray and then a white on top of the black. Um, it adds more depth and more shadow. So you like you you aren't able to use like rattle cans in your apartment. So you're like nope. you're uh, you're dry brushing on your your zenithal highlight. I guess you said. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you probably can't see because the lighting is terrible in my room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's I've taken photos. He has seen photos. I have. Uh, and I and I was able to actually complete twenty Rangers of Athelion. Which is literally the most amount of models I have painted the entire year. That puts actually that puts my total painted models for 2020 up to 23. Wow, that's <laughs> it. 23 to nothing over me because I got nothing done. No, 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 no. From January 1st to December 27th, three models painted. December 22nd, 27th to December 31st, 20 more models painted. <laughs> <laughs> Massive increase during my break. How about yourself? Wow, that's good. I actually didn't finish painting off any uh, models over the break. I was more um, trying to clean up my messy hobby area. And of course, over Christmas, I had to like pack up all my painting stuff and take it off of a kitchen table. So then it kind of stays off there for for a Mm -hmm. while. So I was working on other stuff. I was I was assembling and, and prepping models, getting them ready to go for our 2021 army challenge that's right uh so i did work on that a lot uh i'll maybe talk a bit about that later Mm -hmm. in the episode uh but yeah i also didn't work on my blood bowl stuff um i ended up spending uh quite a bit more time than i intended playing terraforming mars on steam oh yes uh and that kind of ate up a fair amount of my time well Uh, yeah well all of my models were painted during the first half of our Terraforming Mars uh, all-day session. Uh, we, I think we played for something like 10 hours or something ridiculous. Yeah. And during the process, like the first three hours, I'm just like, and painted 18 of the 20 models, done, okay. And then I looked over and I looked at all of the rangers that I could like glue and assemble together. And I'm like, that's way too much work. Let's just go back to play. <laughs> and when I say glued and assembled too much work, Rangers of Gondor are one-piece models. You just have to yeah, glue them to the base. Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I was like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I did actually read a little bit of the Silmarillion, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting. Uh, we mentioned that, I think, in the last episode that I had got it out of the library, and it was a little bit, kind of seemed a little bit daunting to me. And exactly like what i thought it was uh the beginning of the book which i'm only maybe about a third of the way into it Mm -hmm. um but yeah the beginning of the book is a little bit like being hit with a tranquilizer dart in the face um it is sawdust it is a rough read um (laughs) it is interesting i can see that you know tolkien would have definitely been writing that as a foundation for his world because really what it is it's like he's developing uh like a pantheon of of gods for for middle earth and it's it's a creation story that Mm -hmm. like that's actually what the first part of that book is um and although it was pretty dry reading i did get through it uh and wasn't like completely 
bored out of my mind. It was it was interesting, but there are too many names, uh, too many similar names, a lot going on. Honestly, for that kind of thing, what I really want to do is find a good um, like coffee table reference book that has all of that information laid out with lots of pretty pictures and arrows mm-hmm. and you know things mm-hmm. like that. So if you had that to follow along with, I think it would be a lot easier. But now I'm actually into the part of the book where they're talking about um, the Silm the Silmarils, I guess. Yeah, the three, um, three so, jewels so, or something? Yeah, they're, they're jewels. I, I don't I haven't read it yet, so I, I don't want to get into it. But um, I'm expecting this part of the book to be uh, more interesting than the first part, to me. You Marginally know. more interesting. Other people may find the beginning more interesting than I did. But Well, I, I, I too, I would say read a book, but I more listened to a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I'm sure I'm going to get the name wrong because uh, my wife recommended this to me. I think it's called Ikigai. And it is a book that focuses on sort of like the uh, long, like the the blue zones. You know what the blue zones are? Nope. The blue zones are areas of the world where people are especially long-lived. And it goes into doing case studies and discussions uh, of how they manage to live their lives, which is radically different than uh, pretty much the rest of the world and, and why they're able to uh, be a lot of centenar- centenarians, I think it's called, uh, where you just have large portions of the population in these blue zones that are over 100 years old and are extremely active and have all their mental faculties and the whole shebang. It's yeah. quite an interesting listen. Very interesting. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, not my kind of book, but I, uh, <laughs> I imagine it is very interesting. Okay. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, we talked about terraforming Mars. Uh, I saw today on the uh, internet that Hobby Bingo has started. I saw a That's random right. post on Out of the Frying Pan mm-hmm. uh, Facebook group. So, um, that is going to be cool. Looking forward to doing that. Kind of petered out on on that last year. Started it with Garrett um, at the beginning of the year, and then it just kind of went the way of the dodo when when uh, COVID came in. I probably would have done a ton of it, but I didn't keep track of it because I did paint a lot. But pretty certain you uh, hit every single one of those things. No, like some some of them are uh, fairly obscure. So, but I did do I did do quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Like there are a few there are a few squares on there where you actually have to really target it in order to to, oh, really? to, to take it off. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm actually gonna take a good crack at that this year though. All right. Yeah, yeah, and um, we did also have a a sneak peek release hint. I don't know what you would call it from GW. My first predictions are already coming true. Yeah. That's right. You got it. I did. I figured there'd be some kind of Easterling, Harad, Umbar, Far East kind of supplement because they've they've hit on everything else in Lord of the Rings Third Age. Why not hit on that? You know? yeah, they haven't, but uh, that was definitely one of the one of the available choices, probably at the bottom of my list. Um, but you know what? Let's see what they do with it. Maybe they can uh, coax me into collecting one of those armies. Curious to see if it's just going to be limited to Easterlings or if it's going to be like the whole Far East kind of deal like I, I'm, it I'm was really, in the old book. I'm really hoping that they make this like massive in that 
Um, you can correct me. I'm sure you know this better than I do. Uh, remember the war between um, Erebor and Dale um, during the War of the Ring, which was led yeah. by a large Easterling contingent? I mean, there's an opportunity for you to revisit Dale. There's an opportunity for you to revisit... Um, uh, Erebor. Erebor. Um, yeah. When you when you if you want to talk about Umbar, well, why not talk about the fiefdoms in more detail, right? Like there's an opportunity yeah. to grab a lot of good armies and a lot of evil armies and throw them in a huge supplement, um, and then pitch it with a ton of scenarios. Yeah, I mean it's it's just one of those things where they just got to decide on uh, you know where they're putting the boundaries up and what they're going to include and what they aren't going to include. Like if they don't include the fiefdoms, well then they're probably going to have to another have another supplement that's going to include the fiefdoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just got to figure out where they're going to draw the line. I think really. Probably yeah, I suspect that there'll be some kind of. Um, I don't know, like maybe like a, a Duin here, um, his like like maybe like a ranger force for him, because I I suspect there was a he did a bit of harrying of enemy forces, um, and that was kind of his shtick, um, you know. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I guess we can only wait and see, and we're both just assuming um, that they're going to be releasing a supplement to go along with those miniatures. Like the miniatures, are obviously Easterlings. Yeah. Um, but you know, doesn't necessarily mean the next supplement is going to be an Easterling supplement, although it kind of goes hand in hand. I think it's a safe assumption. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Yeah, cool. And I think cool. it's a lot of untapped potential because, um, I mean, you, yeah, you're right. They they haven't done everything yet, but they've done a substantial amount of the Third Age of Lord of mm-hmm. the Rings. And mm-hmm. I think if you did that book, there's there's I can't remember what it's called, the War of the Mountain or something. Um, but if you did that, you'd hit most of the combatants in the actual war. Yeah, yeah. I think it might have just been called like the Battle of Dale or something like that. I think so. I have yeah. to look. I think they talk about that in the appendix of Lord of the Rings, actually. Yeah, but it was a critical battle because if if yeah. if the Easterlings had just not bothered to go there, or if the Easterlings had won, that army would have since swept back down into Minas Tirith, and yeah. you know they may not have won uh, Pelennor Fields. No, exactly. Exactly. All right, shall we move on to our main segment? Let's talk about because we got to jump into some uh, cool stuff there. I'm excited. Let's do it. All right, we're here with Let's Talk About, and what are we talking about today? We're talking about army types, and we are going to focus in on our first army type, and what is that going to be, Drew? The shield wall. The shield wall. And just a question for you. So, like, how are we formatting this? Like, we're going to go over each army type in in some kind of detail, Mm -hmm. Um, but, like, what's the format? Do we have, like, certain subject headings that are going to be consistent throughout all of them, or what are we talking about specifically? uh, Because we want to try to make this as sort of standardized as possible, we do have specific uh, subject headings. Uh, So there's going to be a bit of a structure to this. Uh, We're going to start with an introduction, uh, sort of similar to what we pitched in the uh, episode 8. Kind of a review, eh? Yeah, a little bit of a review. Now we're going to go into the strengths of the shield wall, and that's in more detail. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, with with, like strengths, there's always weaknesses that go along with them. And then we're going to get into a little bit of a high level of how to build. In this case, it's how to build a shield wall. 
right? Now we're not going to get into you should choose, you know, um, Erebor, dwar Erebor dwarves or Grim can we, can we, or this Can we or say that. stuff like I'm going to take four guys with shields and four guys with spears and four guys with bows? If the sound effect of a, of a face slamming into his laptop is heard, that's me slamming my face into a laptop <laughs> if you start doing that. No, uh, 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 that is not a, no bueno, sir, no bueno. Okay, uh, so a little bit more high level. A little that. bit more high level because yeah, you know yeah. what? Ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, our viewers will make their army lists as they see fit. So yeah. this is sort of just give them key guidance um, or general enough guidance that they can t apply this to any army. Okay. And like there's other podcasts and, and uh, YouTube channels that, that specifically go into that kind of detail. So you And know, they do we, it far better than us. Yeah, so we don't need to do all that as let's, well. Let's leave it to the masters. So next we're going to jump into the strategies because like every army type, they have specific strategies that they favor. Mm -hmm. And then two more to go. We've got rock, paper, scissors. And in rock, paper, scissors, we're going to sort of analyze this army type against all the other army types that we talked about and sort of give some like, it, this is good against this one, bad against this one for, again, some high level reasons. Is it like rock, paper, scissors, is this like a North American thing? I always grew up with this being hick, hack, hawk. You know, my, my family's from England, so I don't know. Is that an English thing? I, I don't know. Um, were dinosaurs walking around at the same time <laughs> as you were playing hick, hack, hawk? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, rock, paper, scissors is, yes, I, I guess it's a North American thing. Um, <laughs> you know, pretty much every game that's created that has some form of balance is based around this notion of rock, paper, scissors. Um, you know, uh, the rock will beat scissors, paper beats rock, scissors beats paper. There's always some form of hard countering. Some armies are good against others. Sure. Uh, and so the, the idea behind this section is to talk about this particular army type versus all the other ones. And whether it struggles versus, struggles versus the other ones or it's uh, good against the other ones. Right. And that's the last one. Examples. Examples of army types. Stuff or armies that we think are really good at this particular army type. And maybe we'll delve a little bit into the details of why they're so good at that. Uh, that okay. This type and of we're, we're going we're gonna to butt heads a little in that section because I don't necessarily agree with your examples that you're like, these are the best, these are the second best. Eh, I don't know about that. We'll Perfect. see when we get there. You know see, what? We'll, we'll see if we can have a scrap about it, maybe. We probably will, in which case I will be right and you will be wrong, because I'll point to my wall of trophies well, that we'll I don't see. have. We'll see. And we'll, uh, see. we'll go from there. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's launch into the introduction and let's let you take it away with the introduction. Now, you're going to let me read some of all your awesome uh, point form here, right? Yeah, I am. Wait, so okay, I'm going to cool. do the introduction? I thought you were okay, going to do the introduction. You want me to do it? Yeah, you do it. Okay, okay. Introduction. So this is kind of a review. Oh, okay. I get it. You're getting me to do this because it's the review. We've already said all this stuff. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, one of the hallmarks uh, of this army is that they are a highly resistant army. Um, also, it is a fairly simple army to use. Uh, they don't have a lot of advanced or complicated tactics that are normally part of their playbook. Um, typically love to use terrain to try to hinder their 
opponents. Uh, like if they come up against a horde army or uh, a mobile army, you will try to like plug gaps in, in between terrain um, just to prevent yourself being outflanked. Uh, and one of the sort of trademarks of this army too is that it doesn't normally hit very hard. Uh, because you're kind of trading your your offensive power for for defensive resilience because you know you normally typically have a higher defense um, and the goal of a shield wall army ultimately is to win a battle of attrition and allow your heroes to really do the heavy lifting and break the enemy and the last point here is this army does normally try to stay together in a group on the battlefield. Like mm -hmm. if they're not plugging gaps, they're they're trying to stay together in a group. Safety in numbers kind of thing. Bingo. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, you know, just to sort of t talk about that last point, um, you know, we'll talk about other army types and their goals. Um, and, you know, like a horde army type, its goal is to win the battle of attrition through numbers. A shield wall's goal of winning the battle of attrition is just by not getting wounded because their defense yep. is just so high. So, moving on from here, we're going to talk about the strengths. You know, and the big strength of a shield wall is it's highly resilient. Now, you're a good shield walls generally defense seven, the best ones are defense eight, and you can dip in defense six if you need to. Um, but you can't go below defense six, at which point in time you're really not a shield wall anymore. Uh, as alluded to, uh, the strengths of the shield wall is that it's very simple to use. They, again, they don't have a whole lot of tactics. They really want to stay together. Um, so there's not a whole lot of thought. It's really just where do I plunk my whole army down and go from there. Uh, the other strength of the shield wall that's not readily apparent um, is that it reduces the effectiveness of shooting by a lot. You know, you're looking at the, the typical bow is strength two with some strength three and a defense seven shield wall, you know, it means you're wounding them on sixes by fours. So losing models to shooting is not um, a huge concern when you're looking at those defense seven, defense eight shield walls. And so you don't have an issue walking um, at a normal place across the battlefield. You don't need to, to march um, uh, as often. And, right. and lastly, uh, those really resilient shield walls, I'm talking the D7, D8 shield walls, they're fantastic at bogging down mid-tier heroes. And you know, when you look at a mid-tier hero, you're generally looking at someone who's strength four which means your, your strength four, two attack, maybe three attack hero, needs sixes to wound your shield wall. Like sixes to wound uh, a warrior that's anywhere between seven and 11 points. And your mid-tier heroes are anywhere between 70 to 80 or even 90 points. Because honestly, great point, great form of investment just to throw two or three um, you know, warriors uh, that cost maybe 20 points in total. They shield, that's four dice, versus um, a, a mid-tier hero. And that mid-tier hero will struggle to chew through them. And that's exactly what you want. That points efficiency is huge for a shield wall army. That's really where they, they, their big strength is. Right on. And I'm just going to add one thing here to your, to your, less, your list of strengths. 
Um, and and that goes towards like what the shield wall is trying to do. Like basically, you're fighting shoulder to shoulder um, with your uh, brothers in arms, basically, and you're f literally forming a line. So one of the main purposes of that, in uh, like traditionally through history, uh, the way that we look at it in this game is it prevents your models from being trapped. Mm -hmm. um, because if you're fighting in a sort of a skirmish style formation and your your models get like intermingled with the, your opponent's models it's very easy for heroes to pick off traps and, and call heroic combats when they don't have that opportunity versus like a straight line uh, an impenetrable line of shields it's very much more difficult for them to uh, set up uh, heroic combats and continually spring off the heroic combats uh, so that that's a big strength of that army too mm -hmm. I think Absolutely. Totally agree with you. Do you want to talk about the next section? All right. Let's go on to after strengths. What comes after strengths? Weaknesses. Um, so here we go. The battle line often trades hitting power for resilience. So don't expect your warriors to break the enemy army or to kill their heroes. They're basically there to like get in the way and not die and maintain their formation. <laughs> um <laughs> If your opponent is wounding you on anything less than sixes, you're in trouble. So if they're wounding you on a five or worse yet, even a four, mm -hmm. yeah, your shield wall is not going to last long. It's going to crumble. So uh, that would be a major problem. Um, it's also weak to both mobile armies and horde armies without really proper positioning. You know, we talked before about uh, plugging gaps in terrain and basically it's all about not getting outflanked or being attacked from the rear because once that happens to a shield wall, you're going to end up getting rolled up. Yeah. Um, and really both those things speak to something a little bit larger and that is, is it's just not mobile like you're trying to maintain a formation so it can be a little clunky to move mm -hmm. around and maintain your position and you know if you have any uh, missile units in the back trying to get them to so they can so they can fire without moving and, and all of that like your movement can be a little challenging yeah, no, I, I totally agree there. And, you know, like just to sort of touch on that point about trading power for resilience, um, don't be surprised if your shield wall maybe kills five or six models throughout the course of the game and, you know, your heroes do 15 models. Like that's not unsurprising, uh, mm -hmm. especially if you're doing like a shield wall on shield wall type fight. Your, your warriors, if you kill something... Be happy that because this is a pleasant happiness. This is your warriors are not designed to actually be killing stuff in that position. They're designed. They're designed just to sort of support, sort of support the heroes. Yep. Okay. Move on, sir. All right. So we're talking about the how to build section or building a shield wall. All right. So ideally, you really want to run that minimum defense seven. So a lot of the strengths I'm talking about here, that bogging down the mid-tier heroes, that kind of thing, that's really going to start happening uh, easily at defense seven and up. And up. In your best case scenario, you're going to get defense seven all the time. Worst case scenario, you're getting defense seven with the shield wall special rule. So you're still getting um, the defense seven against shooting, which is big against strength two bows. Um, but you may not be able to maintain that 
um, during that line-on-line combat. It's not as easy. Having 30% shooting gives your shield walls some tricks, and it's a good thing to have. And you know, when I say 30% shooting, there's obviously the bow limit of 30%, so you really wanna give your shield walls some versatility. Um, otherwise, those mobile armies are just gonna tear you apart with shooting from a distance. It's 33%, right? 33%. Wow, yeah. oh my God. Just to get Just technical to... on you, Mr. Rules Expert. Wow, no kidding. Oh, this is clearly you had uh, doctored my my uh, my document. <laughs> no, actually, I just noticed that. I know, I, I noticed it too. I was like, ooh. Um, having a character with march is important in your shield wall army so that you can move to those choke points quickly. If you don't need to move fast, don't move fast. But if again, if you're playing that army that's faster than you, that mobile army, and you spot that choke point between two pieces of terrain, having that march is key. And in a shield wall army, being able to march uh, is really easy because again, your whole army is together, right? And then a top tier hero or a couple of mid tier heroes are key because these are the heroes, these heroes are going to be doing the killing. So I'm talking like an Aragorn or I'm talking uh, a Faramir plus Huron. Like these are the heroes that when you, in, you, you sort of sprinkle them inside your shield wall, they are the ones that are going to grind down your enemy. And last but not least in a shield wall, you, ideally you want to have three to four cav because it's really important to play that objective game. Um, and shield walls don't move fast. Even with a march, you really don't because you're, you're all stuck together, so you have very minimal board control, which means you need that cav to be able to jump out and grab those far-flung objectives. Yeah, because like playing a shield wall army doesn't mean that you have to have every single model in your army standing shoulder to shoulder and holding a shield it just means like that that's the predominant sort of play style is is you're playing in that sort of a formation but it's always handy to have a few other types of units like a few uh, missile units a few mobile units you know honesty bows as uh, green dragon guys call them yeah um yeah d d uh, d horsing your opponent's hero bows because you know you you dehorse a hero, um, you um, you stand a very good chance of beating your opponent if your heroes are are are, are mounted and theirs aren't. All right, shall we move on to strategies? Yeah. So, what strategies does a shield wall have, Don? Okay, you want to alternate these strategies? I'll take the first one. Sure. Because this is a longer section. Yeah. Okay. Terrain. Terrain is your friend. The hunker down in the choke points. So think about the movie The 300. You know, we mentioned this before in the in the review, uh, the hot gates. That's what you're looking for, really, because when your enemy is is trying to do their thing on the battlefield, there's nothing harder than to like break through the center of a shield line anchored at both ends by some terrain. It can be very frustrating. Um, you'll generally not be more numerous or as fast as your opponent anyway. So, you know, doing that kind of strategy, it's it's playing to your strengths or against your own weaknesses. Uh, when you take a stand, you wanna be in a place of your choosing. So you wanna be, uh, you wanna do a Waterloo on this one. You wanna pick your battlefield and anchor your, your lines, right? Uh, having terrain which hinders outflanking and slows horde armies allows a shield wall to shine. 
That's right. Terrain is key to victory, especially against mobile and horde armies. Yeah, because A, when they can't get through, they're no longer really mobile. And B, um, when you're playing a horde, but you can only attack with like 10 models, well, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, just to throw this in quick, one last year, uh, actually 2019, I played Chris from the podcast here mm -hmm. with my dwarves against his Rohan, and I did this to him. Oh. And oh my God, he was pulling his hair out by the end of the game because he's like <laughs> half of his cavalry was just sitting there at the back. He couldn't use them. <laughs> it's, how you, it's how you do it. It's how you do yep. it, right? All right. And the second strategy is lock shields and grind them down. You know, the beauty of the shield wall is it does not need to make that charge, right? So having that key priority is irrelevant to you. Whether you charge or get charged doesn't matter because your line doesn't really move, right? Because you're, again, it's all about keeping that line together all the times. And because you're a shield wall army, you're really designed to take the hit and survive. So don't be over uh, zealous about wanting to overcommit your shield wall unless those extra couple of inches let you get onto an objective or keep your opponents off of your objectives. Um, you know, other than that, just let your opponent come to you if you can. Especially if you've got um, shooting, right? You want to maximize that shooting for as long as possible. And maybe if you've got that couple of cab models, you're allowing it to sort of work its magic in the background. All right. We, we want to move on to supported heroes. Sure. What do you think about supported heroes, Don? Uh, okay. So with this type of army, your heroes are not going to be like ranging across the battlefield all on their own fighting. They're going to be like probably mixed into your shield wall. Uh, and surrounded and like protected by your shield wall so that they can do their thing without worry of, of being trapped or, or knocked over and, and killed or isolated basically, right? Mm -hmm. um, so like fighting on the flanks is, is good, but it can quickly devolve uh, and you can end up getting surrounded if you're on like the flank of your, your shield wall. So you may not want to do that. Uh, fighting in the midst of your shield wall will allow your warriors to dive into combat and get the job done. Like I know for me, I play a lot of Khazad-Dum, and one of the things I do, best shield wall unit in the game is in that army, and mm -hmm. that is the Vault Warden team. Oh, and, and one thing that I like to do is take some Vault Warden teams and intersperse them like, like Vault Warden team, hero. Vault Warden team, hero. Like, like that kind of thing. So they, they have them on their flanks because they can't be pushed around. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, you're pretty safe if you're fighting one-on-one. -on -one. Um, that kind of formation is going to keep your, your heroes alive. Mm -hmm. Well, it also, when you have that sort of formation like you're talking about, um, and I'm playing against you, I really don't want to lose that heroic move right because you'll just charge your vault warden team into my hero if i'm trying to go after your hero mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden your hero can just go off and do whatever it wants because it's very safe in that knowledge that even top tier heroes struggle to kill a defense nine model yep. like even a balrog 
um, unless it's you know unless it's um, rending. But I was like thinking more of like a strength four or even a strength five hero needs sixes by fours, needs you know or sixes, um, and it just you can't reliably pull those numbers out without might, and so. Burning Might, uh, having your opponent burn Might to kill your Vault Warden is exactly what you want to do, uh, especially in a, in a Dwarf example. Yep. So, there's another strategy which is pretty unique to Shield Walls, and that is the one-on-two. And the one-on-two is whenever you have high defense models, or especially a high defense army, like a defense 7+, plus, and you, you know, in a Shield Wall, almost everything has a shield, right? So don't be afraid to sort of throw your defense 7 plus model into multiple, generally two, um, enemy models, right? You're doing this because you just charge in, you throw multiple, uh, charge into multiple enemy models, you then shield, so it's equal dice, two dice versus two, but even if they win the fight, they're going to need sixes or, you know, or they're going to need sixes by fours. And so this actually allows you to really sort of overextend your coverage, which is pretty critical if you start to see your shield wall um, crumble too fast, right? If you start to see you're your losing the attrition war, don't hesitate to just sort of go, go full defensive with your warriors, throw them into as many models as possible, and then really sort of focus on key fights um, getting those traps, getting your heroes in where they want to be, um, so you can sort of swing that attrition war back in your favor. All right, and so is the last uh, item here your stick together strategy? I, it is, yeah. Or we, as I would say, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of a rule of thumb almost for for this type of army, and that is um, like this army is meant to stay together at all times it, it's not one of those armies where you send you know like a, a hero and a warband to objective a and a hero and a warband to objective b you're kind of defeating the purpose of of a shield wall because then you're you're breaking your army down into sections that and and they it's not going to maintain the strengths of a shield wall if if you do that mm -hmm. separating your army like that um, is a surefire way to lose the game if you're if you're trying to play a shield wall army. If you're trying to play a shield wall army, well then stick together and be a shield wall. Like if you want to hold some objectives that are in the backfield with a couple of guys, you know that's not a problem. But sending you know, a big chunk of your army off on a, a wild goose chase to hold down an objective on the other side of the table is is suicide for for this army so be realistic with what you can accomplish with your shield wall but stick together agreed and uh, you know we talked about with the weaknesses of the shield wall being board control um, you know and so you have to just accept that you got to be realistic with, with what your shield wall can do and where it can be um, and then sort of one last little tidbit on this is that you know, when you look at your shield wall, you're talking about a line, right? Well, it doesn't always have to be a line formation. You can bend it to be a nice little, is it concave or convex? I never remember. Mm -hmm. um, a nice little circular formation um, and really sort of like limit that surface area, um, which is great in some games or against some army types that seeks to overwhelm you, right? So you're really sort of limiting their opportunities to do that. Absolutely. As for the next subject, we're going to talk about rock, paper, scissors. 
And this is one I enjoy a lot because we're now talking about uh, this army type versus all the other army types that we will talk about. And we're going to talk about some of their strengths and their weaknesses. And again, this is going to be a fairly high level thing. And uh, we'll sort of go back and forth with each other and uh, each other and, and, and butt our heads as to whether we think that the, sh the shield wall will do well against something like a leaf blower or maybe a combined arms. Right. So, so like, do they have like a natural counter or are they naturally really good against a certain build? Right. And I think what will come out of this also is that you know, missions will also play a big role in this. And I think we'll touch on again that very briefly. Um, but let's, to kick it off, we'll start with the shield wall. And <clears throat> this, pretty simple, this is a shield wall army type versus another shield wall. And this is a fairly even draw. And it, off, and it often comes down to the comparison of the shield wall itself. You know, and if your shield wall is more resilient than your opponent's, i.e. you're wounding them on a four or a five and your opponent's wounding you on a six, then you're going to more often than not win that fight because you're going to win that war of attrition. And that's pretty much it because shield wall on shield wall, regardless of mission, is going to play very similar. They've got the same sort of tactics um, and it all it definitely comes down to the shield walls themselves. All right, let me move on to the horde then. Mm. And I think this is probably a common thing when you're facing off against a horde, almost regardless of what other type of build you are. And that is like maximize your shooting. Like you want to get in as many shots as you can before that horde makes contact with you. Because, you know, if you're lucky, lucky you can take out like a whole warband worth of uh, models and like lower their numbers advantage a little bit before, before uh, combat takes place. Uh, the other thing too is when you're playing against a horde, probably your troops are going to be better than theirs. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to try to probably promote as many one-on-one -on -one combats as, as you can. Um, it's hard to do uh, versus a horde. So it basically comes down to trying to fabricate a situation where the horde player has trouble bringing his superior numbers to bear on you. Like that's kind of what you have to keep in the back of your mind mm -hmm. um, and so not to be too repetitive this is really you really want to like anchor your flanks with terrain and take advantage of choke points like that that's critical against when you're playing against a horde um, ultimately you want to be able to ignore part of the battlefield if you can mm -hmm. otherwise you'll get strung out and the horde is going to overwhelm you um, this can be a tough thing to do in missions where board control is important. Mm -hmm. um, so like in an objective-based game, it's going to be an uphill battle to say the least against a horde. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, like if you're playing an objective-based game and you're a shield wall and your opponent is a horde, no question, you're an underdog in, in the game. Yeah, you're right. gonna. You're probably fighting for a tie. Yeah, I don't think the idea of a win is going to be uh, something yeah. that you'd be looking for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the one thing you can do, and this is like, it kind of takes you out of your comfort zone as a shield wall, and that is you kind of have to spread out a little more than you would normally do um, against any other army type. 
and it comes down to you're going to have to really micro your unit tactics and just come out on top somehow in the combats. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing to make note of here is, um, especially when you're looking at a horde or a shield wall versus a horde, is that the horde's greatest strength is its like it, its mass, right? It's, it's the fact that it can cover the entire board, um, mm-hmm. but it's also its greatest weakness. Right, so if you clump up your 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 shield wall, maybe a little bit less so than what you would normally do, and you sort of do a refused flank, it means you're either all on one the left side of the table or all on the right. Then what ends up happening is that the horde is going to sort of trip over itself to bring its numbers to bear on you, and the longer yeah. you can keep the horde off you, like the entirety of the horde, the easier time you're going to have to punch a hole through a, the line they do send at you. Yeah, and certainly, like if you if you make it so that two of their warbands have to sort of move diagonally across the entire table just to engage you, and they only have like a five inch move, it's mm-hmm. you know that's going to save you a few turns of all the weight of numbers. But anyway, that's my that's my uh, analysis of the horde oh. versus shield wall. I like it. Now we're going to move on to my favorite type of army, which is the line breaker versus the shield wall. And I gotta say, this is probably as hard counter an army as you're gonna come across for a shield wall, as the line breaker is literally designed to break your line. It's literally designed to break a shield wall. So to really have a chance at this as a shield wall, you need to maximize that shooting like we talked about in the horde versus the horde. But it's not about killing heroes, not about killing um, their infantry or their warriors. It's all about dismounting heroes if they've got them. Uh, it's all about shooting whatever makes a line breaker army a line breaker, right? So if they've got three Mordor troll chieftains that are rushing towards you and you know your army can't stop it, try to put as much shooting into them as possible to maybe flick off a couple wounds, maybe even just kill one of them. Because lessening the, the the thing that's going to break your lines is going to give you a strong chance to let your your mid-tier to high-tier hero or heroes um, to sort of duel with their line breaker elements. Because generally speaking, outside of the line breaker um, elements, their rank and file warriors aren't going to be as nearly as good as yours. Yeah, and that's the thing with that kind of army too. It's like we talked before about, um, you know, if the opponent needs less than a six to wound you. Well, if you're talking about all heroes and they're mounted, you know, you're generally talking about a lot of strength four at least, maybe Mm -hmm. even some strength five. You're talking about lances, you're talking about might. So they've probably got the tools they need to rip through you fairly quickly. Oh yeah, big time. All right, should I go on to the leaf blower? Yeah, let's do it. So this is the shooting list. Um, There's kind of something you have to do right at the beginning of the game when you're playing against this army, and it's even before deployment. deployment, And that's you got to kind of look at the other army, see what kind of bows or uh, missile weapons they're using, what strength it is. It's very, very important. Um, because what you want to see is that the base number that they need to wound you is sixes by fours Uh or even worse probably won't be worse but sixes by fours if it's less than that if it's sixes or even worse fives 
then that it's going to drastically change the way you're going to play the game right mm -hmm. like the easier it is for them to wound you the faster you want to get into combat with them um, and that can be easier said than done against an army that's probably going to set up at the back of the board and move away from you when when you move up mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of what you have to do uh, so you have to pay close attention to your deployment too because you're most likely going to want to start as far forward as you possibly can against that, against that list because the last thing you want to do is just stand there and just take arrows the entire game without really being able to do anything because what they will do is they will use all of their heroic accuracy to kill any archers you have. That'll be the first target they go for, right? Mm -hmm. So really your archery in in this matchup is not a thing because you're going to be moving everything including your archers as quickly as possible towards the enemy right mm -hmm. um so yeah so aside from winning the mission the goal here is just to get into melee as quickly as possible and like before they can like completely cripple your army if you have a high resilience and a supply of marches or and or drums, you stand a good chance of closing in on the enemy and getting to grips with them fairly fast. Um, if the enemy warbands are spread out across the battlefield, then it's probably a good idea to focus on one section of their army and you want to pick the one that's going to cough up the most victory points for you so often it's the it's the one where you know if it's a banner mission or their leader is is in there that's the that's the target that's what you're going after but in this one here you really do need to pay close attention right off the beginning mm -hmm. what do they need to wound me with their bows it's very important agreed you can uh, win this matchup, though. It is it's it is tough, but you can win it. Agreed. Um, I think one of the, the ways in which you win it, which you described, was going after going after that chunk of going after the section of their army which coughs up the most VPs. Because mm -hmm. um, when you do that, all of a sudden they may end up not continuing to spread out. They might panic and rush in to sort of protect that those victory points, which yep. then allows you to play your game and. In a, in a close combat or a melee swirl, you're going to be way more resilient than they are. Absolutely. That's it for uh, my leaf blower. All right. For the mobile army, you have to just expect as a shield wall to immediately be outflanked, and you got to prepare for it, right? They are going to move at least four to, if not six inches faster than you every turn. Um, and they're going to be able to spread out, and they will probably move as fast as you while still being able to shoot you. So just expect that they're going to be sort of harrying your flanks, like throwing countless, countless amount of shots into you, and you just have to accept that that's the type of game that mobile plays, and you're the type of army that they love to play against. And in an objective-based game where board control is critical, this is a really uphill battle because this the mobile army is really designed to look for opportunities when you spread your forces too thin because when it pounces on you, it'll wipe out those small segments uh, that you spread out too much. 
And in that case, when you're a shield wall and you lose like a segment of five or six warriors, you're gonna really feel that. And so it's gonna be a challenge for you to claim a lot of board control. So what you need to start doing in that situation is say to yourself, what are the, the objectives I can hold and what are the other VPs I can get to pull a win out of this? It doesn't have to be a fancy win, it just needs to be one victory point more than what my opponent's gonna have. And lastly, in non-objective based games, this is really simple. Find a choke point and make them come to you. And that's where that shooting comes in. Because when you're standing there being super resilient, lobbing arrow after arrow at your opponent, the mobile army is eventually gonna say, you know what, nuts to this shooting game, I'm just gonna charge. And they're gonna struggle if they can't bring the full weight of the army uh, on, on down on you. Yep, that's what you gotta do for sure. Um, and that's the, we've talked about it before, even though you're playing shield wall, you, you still do have to have some, some missile weapons in your army. Yeah. It's an absolute must. Mm -hmm. All right. Last one is the combined arms and of all of the different, um, army types other than your own, the shield wall, this one is probably plays the closest to what you are. Um, the only difference is that they're going to have more tricks than, than you have. Uh, and obviously, you're going to have a bigger shield wall than they're going to have. Right. Uh, having said that, it's actually a pretty good matchup for you, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, what you want to do, because like a lot of the time what, what players do that play this kind of army, is they probably uh, have a war machine or siege weapon and they leave that at the back. So that's a big chunk of points that's just sitting at the back of the table and is potentially not gonna be fighting your shield wall in melee. A lot of the time what people also do is they'll have a contingent of archers and they'll leave those in a certain spot and not move those in, right? So mm -hmm. I think against this army more than any other army, you, you have the opportunity to try to defeat this opponent unit by unit. Like if they make the mistake of bringing in one warband at a time to fight you, you can easily best them in mm -hmm. that situation. The other thing that's important to remember against this one here, more than any other faction type you're going to play against, this is the one that you have to focus on the mission the most. And the reason why is because... This army doesn't have a dominant strategy that you have to try to counter, right? You remember before we talked about this army, it's mm -hmm. the Swiss army knife, it's the jack of all trades or, or whatever. So, you know, they're not coming at you with a predominant strategy that you have to try to counter. So for the most part, you're actually looking at the mission and, and trying hard. You do have to always try to beat your the opponent's army in almost every matchup. But in this one, by far the most important consideration is paying close attention to the mission. Agreed, because they're going to have so many tactics and strategies um, that are going to that they're going to try to employ. And the, the reality is your shield wall, just use brute resilience to sort of push through a lot of that and play that mission. And once you start playing the mission and you start racking up the VPs or um, you start pulling ahead, um, they're going to start to get a little desperate. And that's when they'll present themselves, um, present those weaknesses or those, those mess ups that you can then take advantage of. 
Yeah. So like you want to get into a ground and pound and like if they do it, it's to your advantage because they're not going to be, they won't be bringing in as much to the fight as you are. There's no way. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. And that's it. That's combined arms versus shield wall. That's right. And that is, that is the end of the rock, paper, scissors segment. And now we move into examples of army lists. Uh, and these are kind of, let me just preface this by saying that the armies we're going to mention here do not necessarily mean that this army can only play with this army type. They can play with a multitude of army types, but um, let's just say I've chosen these armies um, because I think that they are exceptionally good at the shield wall, and I'm going to present them each in turn, and, and Don's going to weigh in on, on what he thinks or um, think maybe I've, I've ranked them <laughs> poorly, and let's go from there. <laughs> uh, for our first example, we're going to talk about Minas Tirith as a shield wall army. Now there's two ways you can go about this type of shield wall. You can do the uh, probably the, the most effective version which is Guard of the Fountain Court which has got the bodyguard defense 7 with the fight 4 and you can make a solid uh, double wall of that or if you really wanted to you could do uh, front rank, Guard of the Fountain Court, back rank, um, bows, Rangers of Gondor, as much as you can. And then put a really solid tier one hero like an Aragorn or Aragorn King Elisar or a, a Boromir of the Captain of the White Tower. So to maintain that, um, uh, the bodyguard for as long as possible. The other option is to do Warriors of Minas Tirith, uh, in which case you can double, ra double rank them to get the shield wall. Or you can do front rank of Warriors Minas Tirith, back rank of Rangers of Gondor, in which case your, your shield ball is going to be on the weaker side with the defense six. Yeah, I think in that situation, you do take some back rank uh, Warriors and Minas Tirith with shield, um, uh, shield and spear rather, mm -hmm. and also some Rangers to provide your shooting. The thing I think gets good about that option is super easy and inexpensive in terms of money army to collect and and play because it's like so readily available you know uh secondhand miniatures or even if you're buying everything new it's it's pretty reasonable you're buying everything plastic yeah and that you, you could pick up 24 warriors of gondor 24 rangers of gondor a little bit of converting and you can make all 24 of those warriors of gondor shield and spear and after picking up aragorn king lsr you've got like a six seven hundred point army right there quite easily yep it's a very flexible army minister you can do a lot of different builds with it it's very true certainly uh, shield wall is one of them oh yes very much so what else you got no number two the iron hills and i think this is the second strongest shield wall army and these warriors can kill heroes and the reason I say this is because they've got the strength four base. Most shield walls have strength three, but Iron Hills has strength four. That's a pretty critical number because most heroes are also strength four. And so this also the army includes the captains, which have the five plus um, master of battle. You've got Dane, who have that four plus. You've got um, the the war spears if you want to put them on goats. Uh, Dane himself has a plus wound modifier weapon. 
Um, and so you can also pick up the ballista, and you can also pick up some, some goat riders, and you can also pick up some crossbowmen. So this army has a lot of additional things it can add to sort of trick itself out. It all depends upon how big a shield wall you want to run. But ultimately, low numbers and um, sort of the same issue with the shield wall on shield wall are its only drawbacks. Because if it goes up against a defense 7 shield wall, it's going to struggle just like any other kind of shield wall. I guess the big advantage with these guys is their strength 4. Yeah. So when we said before that your shield wall isn't going to do any of the killing, maybe get five or six kills for the game, that's not the case with this army. No. Um, this shield wall is actually going to rack up some, some kills for you. Um, one other thing I wanted to point out too is that Iron Hills, great example, but it's easy to turn an Iron Hills army into something other than a shield wall. So, like, they can play other army types. I mean, you have to have, like, a pretty heavy focus on, on your basic troop, your your shield and spear guys. Uh, yeah, okay, maybe you're going to take some crossbows for some shooting, and yeah, maybe you're going to take a couple goat riders to have a little bit of mobility, but you're talking about an army that's primarily made up of your uh, shield and spear Iron Hills warrior. Right. I, I, for me, I'd probably just take a ballista and maybe two goat riders or three goat riders and then dump the rest of the points into the, to the warriors and some captains and dang. This is where I have a bit of a problem with this as a really good example. And it isn't that it... It, it, the problem isn't that it isn't a good example. Mm -hmm. It is a very good example. Like when Iron Hill's models were very first released and it was just the warriors and the captain in the box set and mm -hmm. Dane, this was the army that everybody was running because those were the only miniatures available. Yeah. Like everyone was running an army <laughs> with like three warbands of uh, warriors with shield and spear. Mm -hmm. And that is your shield wall army. Yeah. But now when you play against this army, it's it's way less focused on a shield wall. It's, it's way more focused on a combined arms army right. so this can be a really good shield wall army but most of the time that you play it people don't field it that way anymore no i agree i totally agree and you know that because they, they see all the tricks and they want to just go for those tricks but then you move away from the resilience of the shield wall and you're moving into combined arms which don't get me wrong is good um but you're you're, you're sacrificing resilience if you especially if you want to build up that shield wall army yep now what I think is the strongest shield wall in the game, and that is the Army of Dunharo. Now, you can play this as the Army of Dunharo, or you can do the Return of the King Legendary Legion, um, but this is the strongest shield wall army, and I say that because it's Defense 8. It's the only army in the game that can get Defense 8 without needing the shield wall special rule. Furthermore, whole army causes terror, and the King of the Dead causes Harbinger of Evil, which is fantastic because that issue we talked about with Horde armies sort of overwhelming you, it's lessened because Horde armies generally have garbage courage and trying to take a courage test at minus one means generally speaking, you're rolling uh, to get to 10 with a courage of one. Not good odds. Mm -hmm. Very difficult. Also, the army of Dunharrow attacks enemy courage, not defense and this is pretty big because your enemy needs to be courage seven across the board 
or the army of Dunharrow is wounding them on fives, which makes this shield wall especially good at killing enemy shield walls. Because where the enemy is trying to be wounding them on sixes by fours or even sixes by fives, you're wounding them on fives or even fours in some cases. And so you'll be able to easily grind down a, uh, an opposing shield wall army fairly easy, fairly quickly. They also, because of that high defense, that defense eight, they can tie up mid-tier heroes fairly easily and actually stand a very good chance of putting a lot of wounds on them because, again, because of that attack and enemy courage. And really the only sort of drawback to this army um, is, one, the low numbers, but also, two, uh, they, they really struggle against a line-breaker army because they can't bring big heroes to the table to um, stop a line breaker from shattering their line but yeah okay so here here's my issue with you picking these guys as number one i don't think they're number one i don't think they're close to number one uh, i i think that they are very good at being a shield wall in fact i think the shield wall build is probably the only build they have at their disposal I'm not sure if they can build any other type of build other than that. They can um, do a Lion Breaker army, but you'd have to use the Return of the King Legendary Legion to pick up Gimli and Aragorn. Right. Their natural build, though, let's say, is sure. a shield wall, and nine times out of ten, that's what you're playing when you play these games. So you mentioned that their their only drawback is low numbers. They do have another serious drawback, which is quite common to shield walls. Fight three. Mm. fight three for these guys it's a fantastic unit um you know attacking courage the defense eight all that it's expensive which leads to the low numbers but the fight three is brutal for this army and the reason overall that i would say that they're not the best shield wall army is because nine times out of ten you play this army they're playing shield wall so it's their most common build for sure mm -hmm. right and this is a mid-tier army in terms of competitive. They're like maybe a three out of five on the competitive scale. That is true. So how can they be? How can they be number one? Just well, I, I don't know. In terms of the the attributes of the shield wall, I think they exemplify it the best. But you're right. I mean, maybe the shield wall army type isn't the type of army that's um, the highest level of competitiveness, right? It's true. It's true. But I, I think there are a couple of other armies um, that are better than these. Like I think Iron Hills, if they played just focused on shield wall, would be overall better. They mm. would do better like in tournament play than, than these guys would. Fair enough. Probably right. Just, just opinion. Well, and your opinion is just as valid as mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in terms of this, so the next example is the Easterlings. I put them on here because they can go a solid three rank and with the shield wall special rule jump up to that defense seven. Let's and pump up the Easterlings so we, you know, Games Workshop get a lot of sales and all their Easterling that's stuff coming right. out. If, if Easterlings sell out, just remember it's because oh, of Oh, this us. is the number one. This is the number one this shield wall. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, now, one of the reasons why I say shield wall works so well with Easterlings is because when you're doing three ranks deep, the odds of you still being and touching two other Easterling models with the shield wall special rule is really good. 
Like, you're going to maintain the shield wall special rule with them for a lot longer than you would, say, um, Gondor or Iron Hills, right? On top of that, their army bonus plays into their ability to continue sort of staying on the battlefield. It's the army bonus which I believe allows them to re-roll if the game ends. Um, mm-hmm. And that allows them to sort of continue that war of attrition to stay on the battlefield for as long as possible. Um, they also have the fight for they can upgrade for it. And their mid-tier heroes are fantastic at killing troops. I'm talking about Amdur. I'm talking about the Dragon Knights. Um, I'm talking about their ability to also avoid terror um, with the uh, the priests. Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, but they are an incredibly solid shield wall. And not only that, but their, their cav can also get the shield wall special rule too, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, I have no issue with this uh, faction being in your your list of examples. I noticed you haven't said these guys are like third or fourth or whatever. They're just in the list. Um, and I think, and I don't know the name of the special rule, but I think this, I think the rule that puts these guys in the list is the rule that allows their warriors to use a pike and a shield at the same time. Agreed. Um, there's is there another faction in the game that can do that? I don't. I don't even think no, there's there not. is. There's not. But like that rule there to me, it 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 really helps these guys in this area. It definitely is a contributor to having them in the in the list. Oh, absolutely. Um, I probably put them at a solid. They're probably like a 2.5. So if Iron Hills were second, arguably first, I would definitely put them in a 2.5. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the Iron Hills still bring that strength forward to the table, which really puts them up. I think Iron Hills heroes and um, the Iron Hills the warriors themselves are, are a much beefier uh, group. Uh, the last example, I would say, is the Army of Thror. This is the army Garrett has. And it's a solid shield wall army. I would say probably, uh, I'd say again, probably a 2.5 uh, ranking. And that's because the Grim Hammers got upgraded to native defense 7. And mm-hmm. what makes the Grim Hammers really solid uh, and gives a unique flavor to the shield wall is mass throwing weapons at 4 plus to shoot. And they have a unique tactic to themselves where they absolutely don't want to charge the enemy. They want to be charged. Um, They don't want to get that initial engagement if they can because they want to just keep throwing their throwing axes. They want their opponent to sort of run at them. Because more often than not, what happens is your opponent's got a move of six and you have a move of five because you're dwarves. And they're going to sit at five and a half inches or 5.01 inches away from you. And they're going to say, no, I'm not going to move. Which to most dwarf armies is a frustration but to the grim hammers they love it because like okay i'm just gonna have another round of shooting at you with my throwing axes uh and the other component to the mass throwing axes is if you are playing against the army of thror and you lose the priority roll off you need to burn a point of might on a heroic move because you don't want 20 uh, Grim Hammers throwing axes into your line because you're going to start losing models. And the last point I want to make about this army is they have very solid mid-tier heroes. You're looking at Thorin, you're looking at Dwalin, you're looking at Thror. These are really solid mid-tier heroes. I, 
initially I was kind of unhappy with this with this pick, but mm. you you can't really deny that like their basic warrior is is ideal, like the loadout that they can take. Um with the exception that they don't have a proper missile weapon. Throwing weapons, yes, fine, but they don't they don't actually have a, a proper missile weapon in the list. The other thing I have an issue with this army being on the list is just that it's to me this army list is kind of one of those army lists in the game that's incomplete. It's just it's such a small army list. And like, what do they have? Two troop chases? Like, I think you named both of them. Um, they have the warrior and the grim hammer. And yeah, that, that's pretty all much they have. It, yeah. Right. And then you know they have a captain, which nobody ever uses because you can't get the model. And no. they have the the named heroes that you, that you mentioned. So the shield wall is is the only army build this this army can field, as far pretty as I'm much. concerned. Yeah, it is. Right. Um, the problem I have with it is, and and they're good, and when I compare them to Kazadum, basically when I look at it, because I'm a Kazadum player, I'm like, where is Kazadum on your list? The reason it's not on your list, I think, is because they don't have the ability to take spears. Pretty much, yeah. Right? So, yeah. like, they, they haven't figured out how to sharpen the end of a long <laughs> stick. So, you know, go figure. Even though they do have... <laughs> they vault do have warden the, teams. They do have the Vault Warden teams. So they do have guys in their in their army that do know how to uh, make a spear, but the rest of the army hasn't figured it out. Even though they fight underground, they still haven't figured out how to make a spear. Go figure. It doesn't um, make any sense, but yes. Ulti- ultimately... Like when you're putting together a Kazadum list, you're playing Shield Wall. That, that's basically their go-to army list. They mm-hmm. have way more unit type selections. Um, they can't fight other than uh, Vault Warden with two ranks. But like Shield Wall is their is their go-to style. Um, the, the, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it because Army of Thror, when you're looking at just like two ranks of guys fighting, they are better than Kazadum. They are. There's no question about it. But yeah. when you look at it beyond that, they're not. But the problem is when you start looking at Kazadum beyond that, you're looking at putting in all sorts of little tricks to go along with it. But the, the big thing about the shield wall is you have two ranks deep. Like one of the reasons why Kazadum has the ability to pull on so many banners, like with the King's Champion and all that stuff, is because they desperately need the ability to roll a second dice in a duel. Yeah, with that's their correct. Words. Yeah. You know, um, and as a shield, as a Kazadum, you know, someone playing against Kazadum, I see that line and I say to myself, if you're not running the um, uh, the, the ones that have two attacks, that have the throwing weapons, the defense six, Iron Guard, Iron Guard, to sort of like use to like roll flanks, and you're using the the Kazadum warriors, like they're sort of the, such a dwarf warriors with shields, you're really only using those models. To just run into two models and shield, right? That's it. That's all they do. Mm-hmm. Until you've whittled down your opponent enough so you can actually start using them with multiple other models in a fight to like win fights. And I yeah. think you really are limiting your tactics um, when you're saying to yourself, a chunk of my army literally is just going to run into two models each and just shield. 
And I'm like, at that point, you've you've dispersed this idea of a shield wall army. It's no longer this thing that's locked together, very solid, ready to plow into your opponent. It's instead, it's almost like that. It kind of dissipates, ties up a bunch of stuff for as long as it possibly can, while the Khazad-Doom dwarf heroes cut through uh, enemy infantry and warriors, which they are very good at. And that's why I wouldn't rate the Khazad-Doom army very high. And I mean, to your point about uh, Army of Dunharo, um, yeah, you're right. It's not top tier competitive, but neither is the Khazad Doom Army. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, like, I, I could do an entire episode talking about Khazad Doom uh, because I think there's there's a lot to talk about with that faction, um, and they're one that I think really does need a second look at this point. Uh, just because it is a solid, a solid faction in terms of the number of units and heroes that are available for, for the army, um, uh, but it it does quite frankly need to be made a little stronger. Um, but and it is when you try to slot it into like an army build type like what we're talking about it is kind of an anomaly really because it does play as a shield wall there's no question about it mm -hmm. um but when you come down to you know uh, the nitty-gritty of it uh their their unit selection is missing like one of the most important things and that is a spear yeah totally right just how like when you look at dunland I mean, you look at that army and it really just misses a guy with a pointy stick. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's a very built out army. And they, with the newest war on Rohan, they sort of beefed it up by finally giving them the 11 point guy with the stick. Yeah. Um, which he, is honestly, though, like that unit, like it's cool. Um, I don't know if you listened to the recent episode that the Green Dragon did on Isengard and they, they go through everything. I think it's over a five hour long episode. So wow. um, it is kind of the quintessential um, summary, I guess you would say, of all of the army types. And they do talk about that a lot. And basically the, you know, uh, the bottom line on, on the Huskarl is it's kind of a patchwork unit for for the army yeah um but yeah i get what you're saying totally and i my last point on this i'm gonna actually quote something from the green dragons isengard list okay mm -hmm. because this is where i think you're missing something from your list here uh -oh. where is isengard it's not in your list and i'm gonna read you something and it is a direct quote from Kylie on the Green Dragon. Okay. And she talked about it in their Isengard, okay? And here's what she said in regards to uh, the, like, Isengard, which is basically referring to the Isengard warrior mm -hmm. list. They are the best shield wall army in the game. End of discussion. I don't care. Fight four, strength four, three deep. They just do it better than anyone else. What do you have to say about that? Disagree with that firmly. I disagree with that firmly because I have played that army in the newest edition. I played it in many tournaments. And previous edition, they were the like the penultimate shield wall army. They were the holy trinity, fight four, strength four, defense six. You brought a shield wall, you brought an Isengard army to a previous edition tournament, you stood a very good chance of top tabling. Uh, this edition, Sorry, the amount of heroes out there, your shield wall flow, like your shield wall gets crushed. I don't know how often, and the fact that you, if you run a three deep shield wall with Isengard, 
the front rank is immediately trapped. You can't make way, mm-hmm. right? Whereas with the Easterlings, you can actually make way with two models, right? That's within their special rules. But with Isengard, you really don't want to run a three deep shield ball if you don't need to because you can't make way. And if a hero charges in and it knocks down the front rank, they're almost guaranteed to be dead because you're wounding, you're wounding Isengard warriors on fours with lances, right? And if you're grinding through an Isengard like shield wall list, they're going to flop really quickly. And a hero shock, or sorry, I should say, a line breaker style list loves to see that. Because the problem is you're not... Running Saruman is strong, but a line breaker has so many different options that Saruman can't lock them all down. And your army, mm-hmm. the Isengard warriors are, just can't pull their weight. No, I agree with you, and I I do play Isengard a lot, so I've I've been on the receiving end of basically everything you could come up with, and that is one of the weaknesses of that list, and it's the inability to take enough guys with shields. That's the problem, is the the Isengard warrior with a shield, fantastic. Problem is, there's not enough of them. There's never enough of them, because... You're always tempted to take guys with pike, defense five. You're always mm-hmm. tempted to take guys with crossbow, defense five. And what ends up happening is you get into combat and you lose a few guys with shields and your underbelly is exposed and now all your defense five guys are in combat. Yep. That's the issue that I usually have with, with the army. Um, and like, yeah, you said, like the propensity right now in the game's current meta uh, with the... With the um, the hero shocker, the line breaker type type list, um, it is a problem for for that build. But I just wanted to throw that quote out there because it was somebody other than me with mm-hmm. like some serious chops, oh, basically yeah, putting them up as number one. I would say previous edition, absolutely they were number one. The current edition, they've lost too much. Also, the fact that you can't take crossbows and pikes anymore—that's a huge yeah. hit to them. That that was it. That was a huge hit. Yeah. Sorry, it's a huge hit to them. Um, and like, if you want to go max shooting, you all of a sudden now have twelve defense five um, Urukai standing somewhere with yeah. Rasku shooting. Well, the problem that we just talked about is um, those types of armies that have segments of their force relegated to one section to just sort of shoot whatever comes down there. Um, they're not going to be available to swiftly or quickly dive into that line-on-line combat that may break out, um, and that may end up, you know, hindering you in the long run if you have that that style list. No, absolutely. And just to be clear, you can still take a pike and a crossbow. Just nobody does it anymore because you lose. Uh, what is it? Minus one to your fight or whatever. Yeah, it's minus. It's essentially you're you're infl- inflicting the shade ability on yourself. Minus one to your dual roll. Yeah. All right, is that it for all of our examples? Should we move on to All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter? Sure, let's do it. All right, we're here for... All that is gold does not glitter. And last episode, or was it two episodes? No, it was last episode. Last episode. Um, episode eight. We asked the question, what army or what faction in SBG 
doesn't play anything like what it is presented in the book or the movies. Mm. All right. And didn't have very much of a reply for the first time ever. Um, in fact, we uh, I answered this question because... Um, did you pose this question to me? Yeah, yeah you posed this, this question have I got to me. In my pocket. And then we used it as our uh, all that is gold does not glitter. And I said in, my answer was Isengard. So if you want to hear my answer to this question, you can listen to episode eight where I talk about it. Um, so Drew will give an answer, but we, we did have one answer come in mm-hmm. from a listener, and that was Father Justin himself. That's right. Our fellow Canadian. And here's what he said. Hello there. To answer your question on the last podcast, after doing a bit of thinking and having played the army myself in the past, my choice lies with the denizens of Mirkwood list. Mm, In the movies. Yeah, it is good. And I I like where he goes with this, actually. In the movies and the books, wargs, wargs seem to be these big scary and hard to fight things as well as spiders in the game however that perception is not exactly the case at least for wargs i just have this vision in my mind of a warg pack being a pretty aggressive and intense foe on the field but in the game it does not feel the same way at all and I think he's right there. He says, thanks for um, thanks for listening to my answer and keep up the great work with the podcast. I look forward to listening to the next episode. Sincerely, Justin. And wargs are terrible in the game. Yeah. There's no, there's no two they're ways marginal, about it. They're, they're marginally better than horses. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like that, this, this, their strengths that they offer in the game is that when they're dismounted, they can stick around, which can be very handy, although they're a, a courage too, so it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, which is probably their bigger advantage, is the fact that they're strength four, and when they're used as a mount, the rider can use the strength four. For, for their attacks but as a yeah. unit on its own just as a quote unquote infantry unit it's a pretty terrible unit I, I feel like I feel like they need if they're dismounted they're unmounted I feel like they need like a special rule like pack tactics you know what I mean where mm-hmm. like unmounted wargs uh, are more ferocious because there's this idea that if they've been sort of domesticated or they've, they've been, they're using them as mounts, it's kind of a domesticated slash partnership arrangement and a bit of that ferocity has to be reined in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe like a special rule, like unchecked ferocity, where like if wargs charge into combat, they they get like a banner reroll plus they get an extra attack as if they were uh, cav mounted. Because they do have this like very ferocious kind of pounce where you see in the movies where they knock over, um, they knock over what uh, Riders of Rohan, you know, in the um, in the Two Towers movie, yeah. where you see a stray war just jump on top of a Rider of Rohan and knock over the horse and the rider in one go, and I think if you made. Uh, wargs literally count as cav on the charge that would be a fantastic rule for them yeah and like the thing that I 
I have a bit of a problem with is in the Hobbit uh, rules, they came out with a new unit, which was the Felwarg. Yeah. Okay. And they add a point to it and give it a special rule that makes it like a pretty effective unit. That being that it can charge without having to see what it's charging. That's a great rule. And it, it it's not a like over the top rule, but it certainly gives you some some tools you can use in mm -hmm. a game. Um, I One of the things I like to do is like, I like to make my own army list. I like to make my own factions for, for battle companies. And one of them, I made my own faction for, for Isengard that wasn't all based around um, Urukai warriors. Mm -hmm. And in there I had, um, like in, in battle companies, there's, there's a unit in one of them called the more is it moria expeditionary and it's like basically a dwarf ranger can take a free can take an upgrade basically mm -hmm. okay when they gain enough experience and what they do is they just added a special rule to that to that miniature so i did the same thing with wargs um and i i basically allowed them to take an upgrade to a wild warg alpha mm -hmm. and that basically just gives it the special rule of cave dweller Oh, so okay. so it means that like you can re-roll your jump, leap, and climb tests. So like that can be really handy for a model like that because if you like if you're running up against like a fence line or something like that, mm -hmm. you have like a much better chance of being able to use your full ten inch move. All right. So anyway, just some, some thoughts about that, and mm -hmm. just to just to finish off with. Uh, with Justin, we we'll just wanted to give him a bit of a shout out as well because he has, he has a blog called Maris Hobbies, M E A R A S Hobbies, mm -hmm. um, and it, it's really good. I follow it. Not not tons of content, but he puts out content regularly on there. Right. Uh, a lot of articles, and he does do some sort of written battle companies kind of battle report write-ups which like a, with a very narrative flavor oh, so he's nice. got like a he's he's got a battle company series on there called tales of the silver arrow rangers and it's pretty fun so oh, check nice. that out give that a google maris hobbies maris hobbies okay i will so what what do you think do you have an answer to this question well i uh i i, I took some time to think about this one um, tremendous amount of time, like ages, ages in fact. Um, yeah, like 10 or 15 minutes before we started not recording. Not even, like, like that five long. minutes before this segment started, we started <laughs> pumped what I could say. <laughs> and we kind of came up with what we think is probably a reason we didn't get many answers. And it's a hard question to answer, actually. It is. Well, you're welcome, by the way. Uh, I, I have come up with these amazing questions. Uh, so I think mine is going to be Moria. You know, when you look at the Moria army list versus uh, the Moria in the books, the the depths of Moria Legendary Legion is probably in line with the actual Moria in the books, whereas the Moria list itself has so many extra units that it just aren't even in, in the book in any way, shape, yeah, or that, form. That's one army that in books versus movie, very close. Mm-hmm. So continue. 
sorry, sorry. Like the the way that they interpreted um, that faction, let's say, in the movie was mm-hmm. very reminiscent of the books. Oh, okay. There you go. Sorry, you got you stumped me there for a second. I thought yeah. you were pretty much just yeah, telling I, my idea was I wrong. I could tell you mm-hmm. went quiet, and you're like, "What the heck is he talking about?" No, it was more of like, "Are you just shooting down my idea right now?" <laughs> we just talked about how this was good. <laughs> So it includes a lot of extra uh, units that don't really come up, or sorry, don't come up at all in the books or movies, like the Cave Drake, the Dragons, the Wild Warg, uh, the Warg Marauders, um, Spiders, uh, these extra characters that um, may be mentioned in an appendix somewhere. I don't know, but I don't like recall. even the Bat Swarm. Like, okay, it makes it makes sense, you know, but it's. Technically, it's not in. It's not a battlefield tactic, (laughs) Um, you know. And I think there's even the Dweller in the Dark is actually a memorialist as well. I believe. Right, and and there's no Dweller of the Dark. The only Dweller of the in the Dark that exists there is the Balrog. That's it, you know. Um, So maybe this is sort of like touching on um, when Gandalf and the Balrog fell into these forgotten places and that maybe Gandalf saw these creatures and that's sort of the, what they're bringing the imagination from. I don't know. But I think that the, the Moria list um, does play, plays very little when you, comp- uh, when, when you compare it to um, the books or the movies. Yeah, like what you said, like playing the new legendary Legion, that's going to come off looking probably fairly close to what you see in the movies or in the books. But when, when you're not playing the Legendary Legion and you put all of those other units in, in your army, suddenly you're playing an army that is is not reminiscent at all of what, what you see in the in the books or movies. No. Yeah. There right. you go. All right. So for the next episode, we're actually going to try something a little bit different as far as questions go. And not sure if this is going to be a permanent thing, but for the next episode, the question it's going to come from you, the listener. We're asking our listeners to send in questions to us to answer. That's right. And could be opening a little bit of a Pandora's box here. So we're going to throw out just a couple of guidelines, okay? <laughs> <laughs> of stuff that we like, don't ask these type of questions. Uh, so like... For example, we don't want any questions like build me an army. Like, you know, I'm playing elves, build me a 500 point army. Um, there's lots of that out in the internet, so we don't need to to talk through that again. Um, what we do want to hear is like, like ask us what our opinions are on like top units or uh, certain tactics or strategies, that type of stuff. If you have any rules questions, um, uh, MESVG. What's that? Book questions. Oh, book questions on the book, yeah, or the movies. Uh, If you have likes or or we have likes or dislikes in MESVG, maybe like experiences uh, that we've had or whatever. But, you know, nothing like off the wall or silly or inappropriate, basically. Don't ask us if we became chipmunks, what would we do for a day? That's not, (laughs) I'm not answering that question. Anyway, so hopefully we'll get a bunch of questions come in. Um, you know, we can't we we can't talk 
too long with too many questions because it takes up a ton of time. So can't guarantee we'll like uh, read all of the questions that we get, assuming we get more than one or two, uh, but we'll do our best. And like, who knows, maybe we'll switch back and forth between asking questions and getting the listeners to send in questions. But there you go. Send us a question. Um, you can send it to uh, our email address, which mm-hmm. Drew will tell you what it is. North of the Shire podcast one at gmail.com. Yeah. Or we are hoping mm-hmm. that our Facebook page will actually be up by the time this comes out. So if it is, you can always ask us the question on there as well. Well, if it is, we will post a something for it, and then you can sort of just add in or ask your questions there. Exactly. Alrighty. All right, let's move on to our last section. That's right. What have I got in my pocket? All right, and so this is where we both ask each other a spot question and have to answer it. It's one of my favorite segments uh, because it's just one of those one of those moments where you can ask your 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 colleague, my my, my colleague, uh, a random off the wall question, which in my case <laughs> is generally generated three minutes before this segment, and then I ask him a question. <laughs> So even for me, it's spontaneous in the moment. Um, let, let me ask you my question first, because it's not like it's not one of these questions where I'm trying to stump you or give you a hard time. It's it's, it's an easy question. Okay, okay, okay. So you know how we're doing this um, 2021 Army Challenge. You, myself, Garrett, and Chris. Yes. Right. Okay. So you've already said you're playing the Rangers of Athelion. That's correct. Yeah, so here's my question. So for 2021, Mm -hmm. do you have any other MESBG goals or plans? Like, you know, are you planning on painting any specific models that you may have in your backlog or something out there maybe that you want to pick up and paint? Or is there another army or battle company you wanted to do? Or like a display board or anything? Well... Problem is, I'm kind of running uh, full in space. I don't have a whole lot of space for my uh, my Hobbit-related uh, paraphernalia or, or products. Because you're uh, an apartment dweller. I'm an right? apartment dweller, and uh, my office also doubles for my hobby room. And it's and it's not just my office; it's my wife and I have the same space for our office. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I'm probably actually looking uh, at offloading some stuff. Um, and then with that extra space, I would love to do another army. Um, I would love to either do um, like a foil to my 2021 challenge army, although I haven't figured out what that would be. What um, do you mean a foil? Like, a, like a, the the opposite, the army that would would attack this. So like, oh, okay, uh, okay, you okay. know, like a an Easterling force or corsairs, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, or I would love, you know, to do some kind of like survivors of like town kind of army, even though mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a chunk of an army. It's a, it's a costly army. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah. But you would definitely do it if someone gave you a free 1000 point army. If someone wants to do that, <laughs> I'm totally fine with taking it and I will do my best to paint it to the, my the top standard. Uh, but no, I, I, in all honesty, I would probably, 
uh, look at trying to add a second army to my table. Um, even though I didn't paint a whole lot this year, I feel like with the painting method I'm using for the Rangers of Athelion, they'll go by very quickly uh, and leave the rest of the year for me to sort of tinker with a second army. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I get where you're coming from too. When you're living in an apartment, uh, you got really limited space and this hobby, uh, all these games, workshop hobbies, they do tend to take up a lot of space. Like I, I live in a small house and I'm running out of, of space. I have a lot of terrain and, and mm -hmm. all of that other stuff. And, um, and yeah, it's like, I've had to really start making room for, for things and making some tough decisions as they say. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good answer. Thank you. I have a question for you, sir. All right. So we know our 2021 challenge armies, which is the Rangers of Athelion for myself. It's a Dunland army for you. It's Alertz's scouts for Garrett. And mm -hmm. it's the Hunter Orcs for Chris. Now, initial speculation, guesswork, braggadocia, <laughs> How do you find what do you, what do you what do you think your your record's going to be if if we all dueled at the end of this, which is what our plan? Oh, okay, is gonna be. okay, yeah, because we're talking about doing a round robin amongst the four of us. That's right. right. So you're asking, how do I think I'm going to do? Yeah, that's right, Mister uh, Mister. I can write a competitive army list, and I don't need Andrew to write one for me. Damn tootin'. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the army of Dunland is not that competitive army list I was referring to. Um, on a scale of one to five, I would put army of Dunland maybe at a three. Maybe. That's because that's how he makes it. If I made it, it'd be a five out of five. But hey, it's well, okay. It's we'll okay. get into constructing the army of Dunland when we actually do an episode about it. But uh, honestly, you, you look yeah. at like five army of Dunlands and, you know, they're all going to be almost exactly the same, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but how do I think I'm going to do? Okay, so taking the player um, skill out of this and just say that these armies were all being played by a robot mm -hmm. um yours is by far the strongest out of the four competitive Probably. wise it's yeah. it's a top tier competitive list i think um what was the other ones hunter orcs hunter orcs lurks the scouts in uh, dunland like i'm just i'm just talking now like each of these armies versus each other mm -hmm. uh i think i think hunter orcs is the second strongest mm-hmm um, simply because if you've ever played against hunter orcs, if they get to you in melee, you've lost the game. You're gonna, yeah, two attack yeah, strength like, four is hard. Yeah, like unless you can eliminate a third of the army before it gets to you, it's over. Mm -hmm. Pretty well. It's like super strong army list in melee. Um, last is Lurtz's scouts. Mm -hmm. Out of the three opponents, I would say my best chance to win would be against that army, but by no stretch is it a guarantee. Mm -hmm. I would probably say that the army of Dunland is weaker than that list as well, but it's closer than the other two, mm -hmm. simply because like the units in that list are just like, the average unit in that list is better than mm -hmm. the average unit in the Army of Dunlin list. All right. Now, we've talked about army on army. Now, let me hear about how you as a, as a general versus 
Garrett and Chris and I as generals and the armies we're going to be running. Let me hear the braggadocia. I want to hear that you... Uh, I'm coming first. First you, place, number one. No, I'm just not. kidding. But moving um, on. You could shoot for second. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think... I th- <laughs> I think I have the experience in the game mm-hmm. um, to come in either second or third. I, th- I think I can manage it. I think the army of Dunlin does have the necessary tools to actually pull off a, a win or two. Um, but it is going to be very interesting. Like the game against you with the Rangers of Athelion you know, in in all honesty, depending on the table, depending on the mission, it could be a complete massacre, honestly, because all my units are either defense four or five. Mm-hmm. So even your strength two bows are just going to be taking off handfuls of models every turn. Yeah. I mean, th- that being said, there could also be that situation where we draw, you know, contest of champions and I'm just like... Yeah, this will be a problem. Yeah, you so know? like something like that could work out well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's it's all down to whether you get dehorsed or not, really. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how we choose the missions and mm-hmm. and all that. Well, I uh, I have a fifty fifty track record versus you, so I wouldn't throw away your chances here. Say fifty fifty when it comes to practice games, like not at a tournament. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to a tournament, my, my track record against you is much higher. Uh, but for some reason, when we play practice games, Don is like neck and neck with me, even when he's running his <laughs> less competitive army lists that he chooses. So I'm not p- putting you out. Um, well, we'll see how it, we'll see how it goes. Like to me, it's more of an exercise in getting the army painted and on the table. Um, but certainly I will enjoy the game. I do. I, I love playing the game, especially with all you guys, especially after all of this COVID. Yes, um, it is definitely because like in all reality, there is a pretty good chance that we will be able to play our round robin before we actually go to tournaments. Yeah, I think, you know, I, f- I don't know what's going to happen in regards to the league or tournaments, but, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's a chance that we could play our stuff like with friends like mm-hmm. in a bubble maybe or whatever like yeah. before going to like a 20 or 30 person tournament yeah i'd agree with that yeah so there you go that's my answer i'm coming in first place he's coming in second at best <laughs> <laughs> all righty sir all right well i guess that's it for this episode um we should just wrap it up and uh, and sign off here. Any closing words? And before I forget, you know, it's our first episode together. So happy New Year to you, and happy, happy New, New Year, Year to, to all you. of our our listeners. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy New Year to you too. I was uh, I was listening to our previous episodes eight and nine this last week, and I was getting hyped up to to record this one. So uh, you know, the, the energy is strong at the beginning of the year. I'm excited. Yeah, we got lots to talk about this year. So we'll see if we can keep up our episode uh, schedule of one every two weeks. So mm-hmm. that'll be, what is that, 26 episodes for, for this year? Or 27, because we did an extra one, our New Year's Day one that, that Chris and I did. That's right. You know, you know yeah, the, yeah. the interesting thing is I was actually looking at my, like sort of pondering, like how many episodes could I sort of come up with like off the cuff of my head? 
in terms of what I plan on doing this year. And I'm like pretty sure I can get 17 or 18 episodes just for the main yeah, and you don't You don't even need to come up with that many because we've already figured out we're going to have probably four episodes on our uh on our army challenge and like i know chris has got some ideas as well for for episodes and who knows maybe i'll even come up with an episode yeah don might come up with an episode my ideas are just too off the wall that's that's my problem like the problem the problem really isn't the fact that don he's got so many amazing ideas it's that i don't want to edit the episode afterwards Well, who would you, you you have an episode edited one episode yet? What are you talking about? You haven't come up with the main segment to one episode yet. So what are you talking about? <laughs> we'll see. Maybe this is my year. This is a full year. I can come up with one with this one idea for one episode. You, you know, we started this like four months ago, right? But you're like, this is my year. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I you know, know what, what I mean. mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's enough rambling. Um, Thank you very much for listening to another episode of North of the Shire, and we will see you on the next one. Take care, everybody. Take care.